Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today with us, we have Samantha Fay. She is an intuitive teacher, writer, Reiki master, and she is the host of two podcasts that we absolutely love, Psychic Teachers with Deb Bowen and Enlightened Empaths with Denise Quarrel. She has a passion to teach people how to awaken and embrace their own intuitive abilities. Back in the day, you were the very first spiritual podcast I had ever listened to. How long have you been podcasting? 10 years. Oh my gosh. Isn't that crazy? When we started out, we were on blog talk radio and it was live Sunday nights at 9 p.m. And we picked that night because I had little kids at the time. And that was like the only night where we didn't have to be somewhere. And I knew they'd all be in bed. And and we did it live with the chat room. Those early recordings, I cannot listen to without cringing. <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> you and Deb? Yeah, we just picked yeah. up the phone and talked to each other like we were uh-huh. talking to each other like we mm-hmm. always do. And then people started emailing us and I would be like, oh my God, I said that on air. (laughs) (laughs) How did you meet Deb? I took her tarot class and it was so great. I went to her tarot class at our little local metaphysical store. And it was, I think it was a one or two night class and you just cannot learn the tarot in one or two nights. Mm -hmm. And I really liked her. We clicked right away. She kind of scared me. We have very different personalities and she's very, obviously I love her. She's one of my best, best friends, but she can be super imposing and she'll be the first to tell you that. And she's like, this is the Tarot and you respect it and you don't ever, you know, play with the cards, you read the cards. And so I kind of was like, oh, and a little intimidated. And at the end of, I raised my hand and I said, you've done such a great job teaching this class, but I don't feel that I know everything I need to know about these cards, would you consider re- like continuing the journey? And mm-hmm. she was like, does anyone else feel that way? And every one of us raised our hand and she was like, well, come on, just come to my house for the next eight weeks. Oh, so wow. for the next- <laughs> yeah. It was so great. Every Wednesday night, we would go to her house for um, like two months and she taught us and she had us do readings in front of her and she would judge them and rate us. And it was intense. And uh, anyway, through that, we just started talking and we became really good friends. She has been reading Tarot for over 30 years. So for years, she would do these weekends of Tarot readings where she was beloved. People would save up all year and put it on their calendar and wait and go see her. And this one weekend after we met, she couldn't go. She had to be out of town. And she asked me to fill in for her. And I swear to God, it was like the principal calling you at home. (laughs) Miss Bowen, she said, I really would like you to fill in for me. I think you can do this. And she said, but first you have to give me a reading. I filled in for her that weekend, had a great time, had to call her and tell her all about it. And it just grew from there. And we talked on the phone, oh gosh, about three nights a week until like one, two in the morning because she was really the only friend I had during that whole awakening time who wanted to talk about near-death experiences and crystals and healing and all sorts of weird woo-woo stuff. And I kept taking more classes and trying to meet more people. And a lot of the people I met in this metaphysical community were just not like me. 
they were just very, very different. And, and I needed someone in my life who was, you know, grounded and a regular person who cooked and did laundry and talked about crystals. And Deb was really my only friend who fit all of that. And I said, there have to be more people out there like us who don't spend their entire lives talking about the fact that Mercury is retrograde right now and Mars is moving into some weird planet and, and just lives their life, but is also interested in this. And she said, well, when you find them, you let me know. <laughs> that's how we started the podcast. I was like, I yeah. will find them and you're going to come right along with me. Yeah. When I was going through my spiritual journey, same. And so you and Deb were like the only two people I could find. So thank you so much for being a part of my journey. I'm serious. You really, truly were. Both of you were. And Denise as well. I was there when you started Enlightened Empath because I was like, yay, Empath, that's me. I'm an Empath. So I have to tell you, like there was so much synchronicity over the years. God's little wink, like, yeah, you're on the right track. I'm going to read to you what I wrote to you years ago. So it says, so the synchronicity with y'all never ends. I started listening to the episode that you posted today. We were just talking about my five-year-old daughter who had mentioned a past life. You were talking about a mole or birthmark being maybe, you know, something with past life. And she has one on her, the palm of her hand. Then I got to the end of the episode where you actually read my story about my dad in a sign outside the high school that I had sent to you because you had asked like if anybody has signs or seen them or whatever let me know and I just at that moment had gotten a sign right right when I was listening to that podcast so I sent it to you and you read it and then so I'm listening to that so at the same time my friend which was Mandy she had tagged me in a Facebook post about this beautiful labradite bracelet. And she was like, Oh, we need this. And moments later, you actually were talking about a laboratory bracelet. <laughs> I was like, what? what? Wow. <laughs> but it got even stranger because then you were talking about, and I don't know how you got on the conversation. Maybe it was like one of those episodes where like listeners had questions or something, or cause it was like all over, you know, it was many different right. things. And you start talking about spirit animal cards for kids. Well, I was just on Amazon, literally had spirit animal cards for my daughter in the cart. And I was like, no, it couldn't be the same ones. They're the same ones by Steve Farmer. I was like, wait, this is freaking crazy. It was that so weird. So, it really is. I yeah. love stories that though because it shows that that's the language of the universe right and that's how our guides talk to us and just like you said say you know sister friend you're right on the path and you're meeting your tribe and here you go it was so crazy that's great yeah. thank you for sharing that so mandy and i we've talked a lot about religion lately in some of our episodes and so it's been something that's been coming up recently and i've always said you know what samantha faye she is a catholic do you still practice? Yes, I do. Yeah. I haven't been going as much during this COVID thing. Yeah. It's, so if anyone out there isn't Catholic, we have a lot of opportunities to go to church. So if you feel <laughs> like going on a Saturday because you want to sleep in on Sunday, you can go to 530. If you wake up Sunday and you're like, oh, I need an extra hour. You've got three options. You can go to the eight, the 10, the noon. 
now with this COVID, you have to log on to the church's website and pick the mass you want to attend. And I'm just not that planned most of the days. So yes, I still practice. I just haven't been going as much during this COVID time. Yeah. How do you balance that in your mind? Early on when I was you know, kind of jumping into this whole world of being intuitive. I was really nervous about it, very nervous about it. And I went to mass one day and we had a visiting priest. And I thought whenever we have a visiting priest, they usually, it's usually the bishop's annual appeal and they're asking us for money. (laughs) I was like, oh, this is the last thing I need today. (laughs) But he said, guess who the first person you'll meet in heaven is? And I'm thinking, oh, I know, I know the wonderful Mother Teresa type person who gives money. I get it. Where's my checkbook? And he said, the first person you'll meet in heaven is a gay man. And I was like, oh, this is getting interesting. And he said, and the second person you'll meet in heaven is your friend who just had an abortion. And I was like, whoa, is this mythical priest? You know, this is before Pope Francis. So really, really new stuff to me. And he gave this beautiful homily about how God is love and we can't take the Old Testament God and apply it to our life today. That it's it's a fallacy to take our 21st century goggles, you know, and look at the Bible that way, that we have to see the creator as all loving. And so at the end of this beautiful homily, he said, I'm hearing confessions tonight. There's a sign-up sheet at the back of the church. I I try not to leave before communion because it's, you know, not appropriate, but that day I did and I made a beeline and I got my (laughs) first up on that thing. And I went to see him for confession and I told him about all the work I had been doing. You know, I said, I've, I've been reading Tarot. I've been doing mediumship. I just got my Reiki degree, uh, everything. I told him everything I was doing and, and he's nodding and okay. And he said, so what are your sins? And I said, well, I, you know, I know the catechism. I think I just confessed them because you guys are even down on yoga. So surely you're not approving of this. And he said, do you keep God at the center of all you do? And I said, yes, always. And he said, then you've committed no sins. Keep God at the center of all you do and keep doing the work. God, I love this priest. I know. He was from upstate New York. And I'm here down in the South. So we don't get that type of talk often down here. And I, and the weird thing is, you know, I was very involved in the church, especially at that time I had little kids. My kids went to that school at that parish. I was in the rosary making group. So I was very involved and I had never seen him before and I've never seen him since. And I just feel like God said, you're going to be okay. I've had a couple of moments like that. I had another interesting moment where, because I constantly battle with my faith. I'm not a great Catholic because I don't believe in a lot of what they say. And I'm very disappointed in uh, obviously, you know, everything of the modern church. What I love about my faith, I moved a lot as a kid and I didn't have a lot of uh, structure as a child because we moved. I was changing schools a lot. And I had, I took so much comfort in the fact that every Sunday, no matter what school I was going to or what state we were living in, that mass was always the same. So it was always comforting. I always had a very special relationship with Mother Mary. I kind of, I'm a cafeteria Catholic, you know, I pull out what, what works for me and those elements do, but I still, I still grapple with it. I do. And one other time I was questioning all of this and I thought, you know, what, 
what am I doing? The last line of the St. Joseph edition of the Catholic Bible. So most people are familiar with the King James, but in the St. Joseph edition, the one I'm fairly familiar with, in the book of Revelations, it says, and all the liars, adulterers, prostitutes, thieves, fortune tellers, and dogs shall be thrown out. <laughs> and dogs. And dogs. And I remember, I, I actually called Deb and I read that line to her and I'm like, well, at yeah. least I'll have my dogs with me and you'll be there too. <laughs> and we laughed, but really I was thinking like, good God, like, what am I doing? And I was thinking about that. I had a teacher, I went to parochial school myself and I had a teacher in middle school who I just love named Sister Catherine. And she always taught us that we have a guardian angel with us, that Mother Mary answers all of your prayers. And I just loved her. And I was talking about her to some of my friends regarding my battle with, you know, am I doing the right thing by doing intuitive work and working with crystals and tarot and all of that and still going to church and I went to a different church at by the beach, about 15 minutes away from my normal church. And the guest speaker there was Sister Catherine. Mm-hmm. My wow. teacher, okay. um, a whole nother <laughs> state, a whole nother time in my life. She just happened to be visiting there. And so I've had a lot of weird things like that that have happened that make me feel as though in my own weird way, I can balance the two. And then, of course, the Vatican released that bishop's letter in 2016 that approves the gift of talking to spirits. Yeah, and like when did they stop? <laughs> did God just stop speaking to us? Did, is know. It, you know, it's just, I think there's just been a lot of control and power and all the separation that it's caused. Also, there's so many, you know, contradictions, interpretations and rewritings of it. And like the King James version, all the kings that had their fingers in it. King James, he was one of the first, I believe his mother was Mary, Queen of Scots. And so he really wanted to separate himself from being Catholic. You know, obviously Mm. his mother was was killed because she was the Protestant queen's cousin. And so he issued that these Bibles be written in English. And, you know, so that's what really helped propel Protestantism forward. And he wanted to really differentiate it from the original Bible, which is the Catholic Bible, the St. Joseph's edition. So the King James mm-hmm. edition is very different. They they don't have a lot of books in there that the Catholic Bible does, like, like the Book of Tobit, which is one of my favorite stories mm-hmm. where Archangel Raphael, you know, appears and heals this man of blindness. So the King James Bible takes a lot of that out. Um, and they also reinterpreted some words that I, you know, kind of have an issue with as a, as a feminist. And I try to just focus on the spirit of it. And, you know, I had this really profound experience during another one of my moments of doubt and wrangling with my faith. So I went to church by myself, the 930 mass. I never, my kids were little at the time. I never went to church by myself, but they were dealing with colds. So I left them at home and I went by myself. And it's such a different experience to go anywhere alone when you're a young mom, right? I didn't have to bring a bag of books and goldfish. So I'm just sitting there listening and actually focusing. And when we kneel for the priest to bless the Eucharist, Usually I just close my eyes and pray. And this time though, I was just kneeling and I was staring at the priest as he's blessing the Eucharist. And I kept, I kept seeing this flutter thing out of the corner of my eye. It, like if, you, if you're seeing a ceiling fan out of your peripheral vision and I looked up 
into the, you know, beautiful arches of the church and there's nothing there. And it happened three times. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? So then I decided just to close my eyes. And I had that moment where all sound leaves your ears. Do you guys ever have that? You can't hear anything. And it kind of startled me. So I opened my eyes. And when I did, I saw this um, big silver drop of energy picture like a teardrop shape of liquid mercury about three inches long drop into the priest head. And I looked around the congregation and I saw one of these drops go into everybody's head, just one drop. Oh my God. It was so crazy. And I kept blinking my eyes, like going, what is happening to me? Were you looking up? Like, is one going to come to me? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I heard this voice in my ear that said, we're preparing your soul to receive the Eucharist. And So after that, after I left church and I just kind of drove to the park and I parked in the lot just to kind of steady myself and and think, what does this mean? And And I got kind of upset because I have a lot of friends who have left the church who are amazing, wonderful people. And so I'm kind of ranting at God in my head and I'm like, do they not get the silver drops? Like, what the hell? Come on. And I kind of had this like download of information and an answer where I was told Wherever you go each week to refill your soul, to fuel your energy, gains you that silver drop. So it doesn't have to be church. It doesn't have to be a synagogue or a temple. It doesn't have to be a prayer service. If walking the ocean refuels your soul and brings you back to connection with source, you'll get that silver drop where it prepares and cleanses your soul. If sitting in the woods or just petting your dog or you're just holding a friend's hand during a moment of need. It's in the Gospel of Thomas, which was kicked out of all the Bibles, where Jesus says, you know, turn over a log and you will find me lift up a stone and I am there. Wherever we go to seek God, whatever God is for us, whether it's God, God, a source creator, if we seek it, we will get that silver drop. And that made me feel a lot better. Everyone has access to that whatever that silver drop is, you don't have to go to church to get it. But for me, that's one of my ways to receive. Yep. That's beautiful. And I totally agree with you. And that's why I love you because you said that absolutely perfectly. Thank you. You also had me investigating and and opening to the possibility of aliens. You had on the author of uh, American Cosmic. Yeah. That book freaking blew my mind. I know. That's another weird, crazy coincidence for me as well, because my oldest daughter was getting confirmed in the church and she came home one night from her confirmation classes and said, mom, I met the coolest lady. You have to be friends with her. (laughs) I was like, okay. And she said, she's a religion professor at UNCW. And she was the consultant when they made the conjuring movies And she's researching this book about aliens. And I was like, oh, and I kind of forgot about it. You know how busy life gets. And two years later, this book comes out and I'm like, oh, that's that woman. And she lives in my town. And this is so cool. So I called her up and she came on the show. You do a deep enough dive into the research, especially with like Diana Pasuka's book. There's so many books coming out now that have evidence that I just don't think can be refuted. Why is the Navy suddenly releasing all of these videos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, something's up with that. 
Yeah. And, you know, they just opened some land up in Colorado Springs. We live in Colorado for the O space for the new branch of the military. I'm a little bit curious about what that's actually really about. (laughs) I know I do these deep dives. I mean, I guess you could say it's for the show, but really that's just my excuse to research weird, funky stuff. But I did this deep dive into the government's mind control studies, you know, of MK Ultra and all of that. And if anyone's interested, just check out anything by Annie Jacobson, but especially Phenomenon or Operation Paperclip, because what all of the newly released documents, the FOIA documents are showing is that we basically learned all these mind control techniques from the Nazis when all when their uh, information was released to us in the 1930s and 40s. And through all of this, one of the things that they learned was if you want to discredit anybody, you just call them a conspiracy nut. Mm-hmm. And reading these release items on that, it's just really interesting. And if you if you look at the concerted effort through Project Blue Book or that poor man, Paul Benowitz, who, you know, they really messed with his mind and told him, yeah, aliens are real, just to pretend and make him not understand that what he was seeing was government high-tech biplanes. <laughs> so we're wow. being so much weird information from all over the place that it is hard to understand what's true and what's not true. And mm-hmm. yet, Ever since Tom DeLonge came on the Joe Rogan show and said, you know, you know, the, the lead singer of Blink-182, and, and he said, the government has asked to work with me and we're going to start releasing this and disclosure has begun. I remember listening to that going, is he smoking too much right now? Like, what does that <laughs> happen? We started to see similarities in angels and aliens. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we had never heard of the Nephilim. Oh, Yeah. That's in the Bible. How the frick did I not know this? Why did I always think that angels look like little fat, chubby, cute babies? I have such a hard time with that. You know, I do believe in angels. I do. Do they have wings? I don't know. But I definitely believe that there is a group of beings called angels and that they do help us. What I think is that some alien encounters might be mistaken for, for angels. So I think that there are angels, but I think there are also off-planet beings. Off-planet being is an angel. I totally agree. After my near-death experience, when I woke up out of my coma, there was an angel there who was a little girl in human form. And I've also seen, you know, angels on earth as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if that gentleman that encouraged you to keep, you know, tapping into your workshops and your gifts was an angel because that's happened to me numerous times where I've just had this person come into my life that just really, really spoke to me. And then I never saw him again. And it made me wonder, Hmm, was that person an angel? Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Samantha, I just really appreciate your resources on your website. It's amazing. I'm getting the feeling here that you've probably read hundreds (laughs) of books. And earlier you mentioned that you've always been in classes. What is it in your soul and how old were you when you were so driven and what drove you to keep searching for something else? I've always been like that. And it's it's always annoyed people around me. (laughs) I just always have to understand things. I'm always asking why Mm -hmm. I always want to understand the reason, you know, behind people and, and why they do things and I'm fascinated. I'm just fascinated by people. I'm fascinated by 
good people. I'm fascinated by evil people. I'm fascinated by people's motives. I've always wanted to know why the hell are we here? And if we are, why is it so hard? The other day, my daughters and I watched that beautiful documentary, The Octopus, My Octopus Teacher on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. It was so beautiful about this man who befriends an octopus and we're feeling all loving and gentle. And so my daughter's like, let's watch another one. So she found a documentary on penguins and it was terrifying. We watched how these seals were like killing these penguins and this Arctic bear was starving oh. to death. And it sent me down this whole path of wondering why were we created where we always have to eat each other? You know, why, why? Right. I would love to ask God that question. So I have questions all the time. I just have this burning desire to know and it, and it pisses me off that we can't get all the answers. And just when I think I get an answer or an understanding, something happens and it crumbles and I don't, I don't get it. Like near death experiences, Mandy, I've never had an NDE, but I, I read them all the time. And they all say that in the NDE, they have all the answers to everything. And the minute they come back, it's gone. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I didn't. I don't think I was there long enough to get it, to even ask any questions. Mine was very short. I was going to say short lived, but does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> it was very short deft. I don't know. I was with my brother. He immediately presented himself in a human form just so I knew who he was. And then it was just our spirits talking. But he immediately told me I needed to go back for my son. There was so much love. And I probably gotten all the answers if I would have stayed longer. Yeah. Right. I just wish we could have them all here. I know, right? So you remind me of Shanna because Shanna has to know the why to everything. And she is like a detective and she researches and researches and researches. And I'm over here like, hey, you know, let's, it just is what it is. <laughs> you know, it's another thing I wanted to say that we have in common your relationship with your mother. And I still have a very similar relationship with my mother, but my dad died. So now I have to care for my mother. So I've been working all these years to separate myself and detach with love. And now I'm caring for, I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. But yeah. So what was your childhood? Like was your gifts present back then? Yes. Yeah, they were. And I'm so sorry you're dealing with that with your mom. My dad has Alzheimer's, so I'm helping to take care of my mom too and take care of my dad. And I feel exactly the way you do. Like really what, I don't know, either, either you and I were like saints in a past life or we were horrible, horrible, evil people. I don't, I can't figure that one out. I've been trying to figure that out, girl. I really have. Well, you were a nun, Shanna, in your past life, so... Yeah. So see, maybe we're just such old, wise, amazing souls that God thought we could handle all of this. I don't know. But I think having a difficult mother, the way, the way I compare it to, it's like walking around as an amputee. You know, like if you don't have a leg or an arm, you can still go through life and flourish and be amazing and wonderful and kind and do all the things you want to do. You can hike mine Everest. Uh, but it's always a deficit. And that's how I feel when you have a difficult mom. But you are a good mother. I know you are because I've listened to you and, and I know that I'm a good mother, so yeah. I can spot a good mother. Yeah. Well, I actually, in one of my fights with my mom, I have said to her, like, cause she had three daughters and we're all really great moms and it's our primary number one focus. And she said, well, that's because you all had Oprah. 
We didn't. Have- <laughs> I love Oprah. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> she gives it all to Oprah. She's like, we didn't have all that advice and wisdom out there. Yeah. I think that um, my sisters and I growing up, we always talked about it. And my father was really honest with us. And he would say, your mother can be incredibly cruel. She doesn't mean it. And it has nothing to do with you. And it, it's, mm. it's her issue and it's in her head. And every time she would get into, uh, my mother was never physically abusive. She, I call her a rageaholic. And yeah. it was difficult to tell when the rages would come or what would trigger it. It could be as simple as forgetting to clean up dinner or leaving a wet towel on the floor to something as major as getting into a fender bender when you're a teenager. You just never knew. Uh, I think that was the most difficult part. And I, I've also attributed that to why I am intuitive. I think because yeah. growing up, I had to always have an extra ear out for her moods. Yeah, Me too. I think it turned that on. And, you know, I'm, mm. I'm fascinated. Anyone who's interested in intuition, I, I always recommend you read the psychics and mediums biographies because you can learn so much about who you are as an intuitive by reading about how they were as an intuitive. And almost all of the famous psychics I've read about had some dysfunctional parent. You know, John Edward had that father that really was never around. John Holland's father was an alcoholic. James Von Prague's mother was an alcoholic. So you can trace it. And I I do think that there's a connection there. But anyway, to answer your question, yes, I was very intuitive as a kid. I was also incredibly imaginative. So I was always drawing and painting and writing stories. And so every time I would see a ghost or know something was going to happen, my parents would chalk it up to my imagination. And it was really only my sister, Courtney, who believed me. Like, for example, we had a walk-on attic. You know, those where you just open a door and the attic is there. And that door would open by itself all the time. <laughs> like, weird stuff would happen. And my sister was always around, so she would see it. But the other people in my family just really did not believe in any of this. They thought it was really strange, which is odd because my mother is very, very psychic. She would always know if a boy had a crush on us or she would always know if someone was bugging us at school. And we'd always ask her like, how do you know that? And she'd say, oh, it's mom's sixth sense, you know, but she never put any credence to it really. And she would tell me, don't tell people that you see that stuff because they'll make fun of you. You know, you really have to trust what you see and you have to trust your imagination. And I was taught that the imagination meant everything is fake. And now it's like more reality and more truth to me than ever in my life. So I've been studying it a lot. Like, what do you think about the imagination? Yeah, I think it's the most poorly misunderstood word in the universe. Because if you Mm -hmm. look at the woman in the 1920s who went to Tibet, and learned all about their spiritual beliefs. And they taught her that you can create a tulpa, meaning like an imaginary person just by thinking about them. And so she decided to create a monk named Philip and she thought about him and thought about him and thought about him. And she woke up one day and he was there. It's just amazing what the mind can do. You know, Picasso has a famous quote, everything you imagine is real. And I think in in some respects that's true. But for children, especially if, if anyone has an intuitive child, I think the worst thing you can say is, oh, honey, that's just your imagination. I mean, I get so much from my imagination. 
I think it's important with the imagination though, what's the expression? If you look into the abyss, the abyss looks back at you or something. So I think it's important to always balance it and temper it. So I always say, if you get a message or you get insight or something in your quote unquote imagination to test it. So for example, my kids will often ask me, you know, who's my guide or who's, I do not believe in reading children at all. And so I told my daughter, I'm like, well, do this meditation and see if you can meet your animal guide that way. And so she did. And she said she saw an owl. And she said, I think I'm making that up though, because she had just read the Percy Jackson books and was all into Athena and that's her symbol. And so I said, okay, honey, well, if you think you made it up, that's fine. Just test it. Ask your guide. If you, if my animal guide is an owl, please let me know. So that night we went to this Christmas light show in my town. You just walk around this beautiful garden and look at lights and we're walking around and my daughter said, mom, look up in the tree and up in the tree was an owl. And then the two days later, we were walking downtown on the riverfront and they had a group of volunteers from the wildlife rescue group and they had an owl is what they were showcasing. You know, yeah. and I said to her, that's your animal guide. So I think it's really important to do that. Validate. Yeah. So I got an amazing numerology. You sent it to me off of your website. This was years ago, Shanna. Yeah, it was when- called the Rock My Numbers. Yeah, Rock Your called- Numbers. I loved it. What does numerology mean to you? Did you take a workshop on that too? Yes, I've taken quite a few workshops in numerology and I find it fascinating. I don't think I could ever teach a class in it because there's too much. There's very, there's a lot of different types of numerology that you can learn. So I like the basic numerology where you take, you know, your birth date and you reduce it down to three numbers, but you can apply it to your name. You can apply it to the name you were born with, the name you were married. You can if you're opening up a business, you can do the numerology of the names, you know, you could do the numerology of sense of soul and see what that vibrates to. And it's just amazing. You can do the numerology of your home address and see what number your home is vibrating to. And basically you reduce everything down to one of nine numbers, one through nine, the single digit numbers, unless it's a master number, 11, 22 or 33. And so every number vibrates to a different energy And there are many people who understand math a whole lot better than I do that say the universe vibrates to numbers and math is what created the universe. So if your numbers, like if you just take your birth date and you add it up and reduce it to a single digit. So like, for example, all the numbers in my birth date, when you reduce it to a single digit are an eight. So let's say if you were born January 1st, 2000, I'll use that because I'm not good at adding off the top of my head. (laughs) Let's say that would be one plus one plus two. I can do that. So that would make you a four life path. So if you're a one life path, for example, that means that like Steve Jobs is a one life path. So you're going to be all about innovation, inventing, thinking outside of the box. Ones are, some of them can be about being number one, but they're more about being the first to do something. Um, they tend to be loners. They pe- tend to be awesome entrepreneurs. If you're a two, you're all about love, partnership, and getting along. You're going to be much better in a in a group than you are working by yourself. Uh, twos can get messed up in codependent relationships, just like sixes can. If you're a three, you're going to be very creative, an excellent counselor, or a communicator. 
Uh, threes do suffer a little bit, some of them from the Peter Pan syndrome, because they always want to see the best in everything. So they tend to avoid kind of growing up and adulting, but they're the most fun to be around. Uh, four is the teacher. They are the practical ones. They're very grounded, very, very wise, very balanced and fair. Uh, five is the adventurer, the seeker. I find it fascinating to do the numerology of famous people. So if I did the numerology of all of our founding fathers <laughs> in my free time. No, just because yeah. I thought it was, it's a good way to learn if you're trying to learn yeah. numerology. Most of our founding fathers have five predominantly either in their life path or their name. Like Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, for example, are fives. They're all about breaking mm -hmm. molds. And it makes sense, right? Because our founding fathers broke, you know, the country and created a brand new country. So they're all about um, breaking free and they had, they fives do not do well in an eight to five job. Like they need freedom and variety. They're a lot of fun. They can be a little, they're so spontaneous. They can be hard to peg down. The sixes are called the parents of the other numbers. And I, that's really easy to remember because the number six, if you draw it, it looks like a pregnant woman. So they're very nurturing and maternal and paternal, and they're awesome bosses and managers. The seven is the mystical seeker. They tend to be the most intuitive of all the numbers, uh, although the number two also has natural psychic abilities. Uh, the seven likes to be alone, just like the number one, um, but they're really always seeking. And the eight is all about making money, getting a message out, being heard, uh, teaching on a bigger stage. If you do the numerology of CEOs and U.S. presidents, you will find the number eight everywhere. They struggle. Their their number one struggle is money. They have to have money in the bank before they feel safe. The number nine is uh, the humanitarian. So like uh, Mother Teresa is a nine. Gandhi is a nine. Nines are all about helping everyone. Uh, they're kind of like the guru of the numbers. So I just think it's really oh fun to go over your own numbers and just see mm -hmm. like what aspects of this, you know, do I have? And, and if you do your birthday, you'll have three main numbers and some of them will conflict, right? Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, numbers, actually right? I had that. You, you do? You did mine and you did my whole family. <laughs> I have a big family. I have four kids, but yes. And I, Mandy and I both are sevens mm -hmm. and my birthday is 5-15-76. So I had a six as one of my main numbers as well yeah. and then that would make you an 11 personality too mm -hmm. which is why you're the teacher that makes sense i'm gonna let everybody know you should probably get one because i think they're amazing but she really puts a lot of time into it you know there's a lot of intuitive thought into some of the stuff that you wrote thank you yeah it was like pages long i was expecting just to get like this little blurb it, it was really awesome i love it i put it in a and notebook. stones you get stones yeah. with it Try to choose stones that match with the numbers, but it's just neat to think about. Like one thing I think is cool with numerology. If you take the number address where you live and you add it up. So let's say you live at one, two, three main street, that would make you a six. So your home is vibrating to a six, which is a really good number for homes because six is the parent. So you're going to have people coming to your house for you know, dinner and advice and comfort and wisdom. But let's say your home vibrates to the number one, which mine does. It's not really the best number for a home because it's all about solitary and you're on your own and you're going to be working and ambitious all the time. And I, when I read that, I was like, well, I don't want my home to give off that energy. So you can take 
you can go to Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever and get address stickers and put it on the inside lip of your front door and intend that the energy of your home. Oh, I love that. So yeah. I love, I love the energy of three because three is all about like connection and network and friends. So I have the number two a sticker on the inside of my door. And my, my AC guy just came over. He comes every year to clean my system. And every year he's, I don't know, he's the only one who notices it. And he goes, why do you have a giant two sticking on the, <laughs> don't worry about it. That's a solid selling point for real estate agents. They can be like, this house is vibrating at a five. So you should probably buy <laughs> Or like me, I'm going to go do that. I've lived in 16 homes. I move all the time. So I'm going to do them all because I know which ones had really bad energy Ooh, and which ones had see, have see fun doing. Does. Yeah. 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 Samantha is also known as the crystal chick. You know, the craziest thing happened with me with stones. I didn't really seek them, although I probably would have because of your podcast. But when my dad died, he left me his little kid rock collection. And I, when I was taking my Reiki three class, they were like, um, yeah, bring some stones. And I was like, oh, shoot, I know they, you know, I don't have any stones. And I was like, wait a minute, I do. I have like the most amazing stones for my dad. Oh my God. He had like three containers of them and they're all amazing. I still use them today, but yeah, half of them were not good. They were like uranium, asbestos. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, I don't think we should touch that hairy one. So I started to read the properties and that's kind of how I became familiar with them. What a gift. If you were going to be stuck on an island by yourself and you could only take one crystal with you, what would it be? First of all, I hate those questions. Like what one book, you know, because I hate, I don't like favorites, but it would be this. I I have this crystal with me in my hand like every day. This cat is huge. Did you have that in your bra? No, I had it in my hand. I, every time I'm working or recording or anything, uh, this is just my go-to. So it's, it's a cathedral clear quartz. Um, and this is the stone I've talked about on the show where little triangles will mm-hmm. appear on, on this side of it. And I just, I remember when I first got into crystals for mm-hmm. at least a year, I was like, all right, little rock, how the hell are you going to help me? But I kept an open mind. And every night I would meditate by, I like to meditate by kind of, I'm not good at sitting in silence. <laughs> Are you shocked? <laughs> but um, I like to have like a guided meditation. And so I would sit with the stone and I would just imagine myself sitting inside of it. And as, as I was staring at it to see myself sitting inside the stone, I know I sound crazy talking like this right now, but no, you don't. I saw these little triangles raised on the side and I was like, oh my gosh, there's seven triangles there. What does that mean? And I just kind of was like, huh. And then the next day at night I did the same thing and there were five triangles. And so I started making note of it. And then I said to my former husband, he was next to me in the bed. I'm like, do you see these triangles? And he was like, yeah. And I said, how many do you see? And he counted them. And so every night I made him count them because I, I need someone to like validate that I'm not just yeah. seeing this stuff. So finally I, I read and researched and learned that crystals can have little raised triangles. They're called record keepers. And if you run your hand along them, you're supposed to subconsciously uh, be gifted the information, the wisdom of that stone. Mm. And I've had this stone for uh, 12 years and different oh. triangles come and go on it so wild so anyway that would be 
I love it. Shanna keeps hers in a bra, so I was like, whoa, maybe that. Well, not that big of one. <laughs> That's pretty that would big. Be awkward. But you know what, Samantha, every time you talk about a stone, I'm like, oh my God, I got to get it. I probably spent like a good $10,000 on stones listening to your show. <laughs> I have to have every single one of them that applied. Yeah, I have quite the collection now, but... I just love teaching people about crystals. You're really good at it. Yeah. Thank you. I just, I've seen them work in my own life. I've seen them work in other people's lives. And the way I look at it, you know, I had someone on another interview and she said, I don't really think that crystals work. And I said to her, that's totally fine. I completely get it. I looked at them as rocks too. I said, but what, even if you don't believe in them, well, we can look at science because science, science is yeah. work, but, but that's another show, right? But I said, even if you don't, if you have a crystal that say a friend has given you for good luck, you know, let's say someone green aventurine is a great stone for good luck. And let's say a friend gave you this green aventurine and said, I really hope you have good luck on your job interview. And you just carry that green aventurine with you to the job interview. Even if it does, let's just pretend stones don't work having that with you is going to be a subconscious placebo reminder of, Ooh, I have good luck with me today. Yeah. It worked for my son. I have a son who's autistic, who his biggest fear is having to do a presentation. Biggest fear. It would cause problems in every area of his life for the full amount of time that he knew it was coming. So one day I said, you know what? I'm going to go buy him a sodialite necklace and it was like a really cool boy one you know it was like an arrowhead one he wore that thing and he thought he was magical wow so just like you said whether it's just the placebo that he believed it and it helped him or whether it was the energy of the sodialite you're throwing out names left and right of all of these books you've read and all these people like you're really good at absorbing information and keeping it in your brain i'm jealous I'm a Gemini, so I know just enough about a lot of different things. You just go to college to be a teacher, right? Yes. Didn't you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have my undergrad in history and English and then my master's in education. And yeah. I taught English at the community college for gosh, over 15 years. Yeah. Wow. I loved it. Thank you for being you. First of all, you're absolutely adorable. Um, you're well-spoken. You're so, you're just have such a gentle, sweet soul. Um, can you tell our listeners everything you do? I don't know if it's changed. I looked on your website, but I know you offer like webinars. What else do you have going on right now? Sure. So my website is samanthafay.com and I have my online store on there and some e-courses. I'm working on getting my meditation page up. I really want to start offering more guided meditations. I have two now and I'm I'm recording some more as we speak. Um, I teach a lot of classes. I teach on crystals, manifesting, mediumship. My favorite class to teach is Be Your Own Psychic, where people learn and they get to work with partners and, and learn how to you know, really awaken their intuition. And my two podcasts are Psychic Teachers and Enlightened Empaths definitely check out her website and her podcast. If you haven't, then you're missing out. And I wanted to show you, look what I have. I have this on my altar and I've had it on there for years. Oh, no way. I'm holding up her little card that comes with them. Um, I think it must've come with some stones. It's just the light. Oh, yeah. that makes yeah, me so happy. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. You have been an important part of my journey. Thank you so much. I'm really yes. to hear that. Thank you. 
You know, so Shanna and I uh, started Sense of Soul because we were going through our journey. Um, we were fortunate enough to be able to call each other and bounce the crazy off of one another and help each other through it. You know, we're lucky in that way. And it introduced us to other people that were like-minded. And like she said, you were one of those people. So we appreciate you and thank you. Um, on Sense of Soul, we do this thing called Break That Shit Down. It's called the BTSD. And we ask all of our guests just to leave our listeners with something that's on their heart. And now it's time for Break That Shit Down. Well, if I had to break that shit down, I would say that everyone needs to understand that you are enough and that you are perfect and wonderful and whole just as you are. And as much as I remind people to be the light, the key is to be the light for yourself because you can't shine unless you shine on yourself first. Amen, girl. That's it. And that's why I love her, y'all. I'm telling you. <laughs> you gotta check out her podcast both of them they're amazing thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and for sharing your light with everybody in the world and with us today oh thank you so much guys i really really appreciate all your beautiful words and and your support that's awesome Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.